You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to, uh, no, I'm not even going to do it. It's not an emergency pod. I don't care enough. Um, This is Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Frank Madden with me as always. Frank, how you doing? Uh, I'm pretty good. We were were planning to do kind of a, uh, I guess, sort of trade deadline primer-ish salary cap look ahead primer-ish thing, Um, but... uh, yeah, a, a deal going down this afternoon. Uh, you know, uh, I guess not not a full week before the deadline, but a little bit before the deadline. Obviously, gives us something to talk about. Even though probably for the average fan, this deal looks very minor and <laughs> isn't necessarily going to move the needle much uh, financially uh, on the court this year, next year, whatever. But um, we talk about the Milwaukee Bucks every day on a podcast, so of course there's a lot to unpack here, and I think. You know, a lot of the reaction I'm seeing on on Twitter, I think, is probably also just the context of not just this deal, but obviously, you know, everything that sort of preceded it and some of the players that have been involved and what it means for other guys in the roster. So, you know, never underestimate us as Bucks fans' ability to uh, get lathered up about uh, even the <laughs> smallest trade. Yeah, um, and I think also why we opt to do this instead of a trade deadline primer is this might be the Bucks trade deadline. Like they still have yeah. until Thursday at I think it's 2 PM central. So there, there could still be a move in the next, I don't even know how that'd be less than three days, whatever it is. There could still be a move in that time. But what we've been talking about throughout this whole time is like, well, you keep Rashad Vaughn around. I know we always have people asking, why is Rashad here? Why is he on the team? Like he's clearly not a part of the future. Why don't you just cut him and go sign Bogut? And, I mean, uh, to me, the reason was always flexibility. Like, you wanted to have some roster flexibility, and by trading Rashad Vaughn for Tyler Zeller, you've cut down on some of that on that flexibility. And I don't know, may, I, I would kind of guess, especially with the names that we saw uh, the Bucks associated with at center, whether they were journeyman centers and the Kyle Quinns and Dwayne Debmans of the world or big-time centers like Hassan Whiteside or DeAndre Jordan, like the Bucks were always kind of linked to centers and maybe this is their one deal for the center like they might be done so um i think that that's why it makes a little bit more sense to me for us to talk about this and no longer record a larger trade deadline kind of primer as you're looking forward because uh 
this might be it. So um, have we have we actually said what this trade is? Because I feel like yeah, I can do most, it. Most I feel like most everyone probably knows it. Well, I just wanted to tease everything out because yeah. like we had sent out like a Twitter. <laughs> and imagine the drama. Imagine the drama if somebody didn't know a trade was happening and they're hearing us talk about it. All this, uh, all these these oblique references. Well, but, I, yeah. I don't know. Like I, I said, like <laughs> ugh, I don't know if this is really an emergency pop to start. So I think I've made it clear that they shouldn't be expecting anything here. Um, but the trade is the more. Milwaukee Bucks get center Tyler Zeller from the Brooklyn Nets. They give up guard Rashad Vaughn and a protected 2018 second round pick. That 2018 second round pick is already protected for another trade. Um, so essentially, no matter I think no matter what, the Bucks are giving up this second rounder. Yeah. Um, whether it'll be the Suns or the Nets depends where it falls. If it's between 31 and 47, it goes to the Suns. Or is it yes. the way? 31 to 47 think- is the Suns, 47 through 60 is the Nets. Um, and if if it goes to the Suns, then the Nets will get the 2020 second round pick from the Bucks unprotected there. Um, so that would kind of be the summation. Again, a little bit confusing, but since the Bucks have included a second round pick in both trades that they've made during this season. Um, it has to be protected a certain way, so everyone um, that was supposed to get a second round pick. Actually, actually, I, I, I was do sorry, we, I was wrong. Do we flip if, it? If, if it's, yeah, if it's between 31 and 47, which it probably won't be, right? Odds are the Bucks most likely are going to be outside that range in the second round. Um, and I hope I'm not just being overly optimistic there. Um, but if, it's, if it were in that range, it would go to the Nets, um, if it's outside that range, so if the Bucks basically are good, uh, then it goes to the Suns and it's probably, you know, between 48 and 60. Uh, and in that scenario, the Nets get a 2020 unprotected second round pick, which obviously if you're the Bucks, you're hoping is a late second round pick because hopefully the Bucks are actually, you know, a very good team at that point. So, um, you know, odds are it's a bad second round pick a few years in the future, but, um, it's something. And, you know, as I think as we're going to talk about like the ins and outs of this and what kind of value the bucks are getting, why the bucks did this, it is still something. And, um, you know, again, kind of all these things over time, if you look at the aggregate of, you know, a couple of years, if you make a lot of these trades, you can kind of do lot, you know, sort of get rid of all your kind of fringe assets. And so, um, so it kind of matters more in the big picture, I guess you could say. But, you know, in isolation, yeah, it's not a high second round pick most likely. And it's probably not even this year. But obviously the fact that the Bucks are going to miss their out on their second round pick one way or another now this year. Um, and obviously they also have that first round pick that they owe the Suns. Um, it does mean that the Bucks are, you know, short on draft picks these next few years, um, which, you know, as we always talk about, that's obviously the best place to find good value. And I think that's probably, probably the most, the most disappointing thing about this trade is it just sort of lays bare a lot of the shortcomings of the Bucks drafting in recent years. Um, and again, you know, Rashad Vaughn was a sunk cost at this point. Like there was no time machine that was going to undo the Rashad Vaughn pick. Um, and there's no undoing DJ Wilson or Thon Maker or whatever. Um, but obviously, the fact that you're trading for a second round pick, or sorry, you're trading for a backup uh, center to basically presumably take minutes from Thon Maker, uh, and in the process also using a former first round pick as sort of salary um, filler 
it just sort of underscores, I think, a lot of the disappointment that you know was already obvious before today about the Bucks' recent draft history. Yeah, I feel like to me, obviously, seeing Bucks fans get I don't even like disappointed, angry with this move. There's obviously the idea that you're giving up an, an, a future pick, which people don't like. But then, also at the same time, uh, I told you this before we started recording. Like, this is just uh, kind of the perfect opportunity for Bucks fans to reflect on how furious they are about picks that have already been made. Like, yeah. they're they can be furious again about the Rashad Vaughn pick. Like, instead of just seeing Rashad running out through the end of the year or cut Rashad later and pick up Andrew Bogut or whoever it may be, like instead of doing that, you get to think about it now in the context of this trade and remember like, damn, the Bucks didn't really do well with that pick. Rashad Vaughn is not any good. Granted, they're, it's, a, it's a bad draft. There's, there's not a lot around there, but uh, I know Bobby Portis is the one that always comes up and he's had a, a a year where he's been in the news uh, for some <laughs> bad reasons, and then also good reasons. He, he's putting together uh, his best, the best season of his career. Um, still, I don't know if that's a great basketball player, but beside the point, like I just think this trade kind of opens up all of those wounds again. Like you're, you get to think about Rashad and be furious that that first round pick wasn't better. You get to think about. The fact that Thon needs someone to help out, that you need someone that can possibly take some of those minutes from Thon, and you get to, again, kind of get fired up about him disappointing this year, and again, opening up that wound, and then, I mean, even a third one, like, uh, the Bucks have sold some second rounders they've included second rounders and other stuff if you were upset about the Bledsoe trade you get to think about the Bledsoe trade again because the Bledsoe trade is tangentially involved in this deal so it it just opened up literally every wound that Bucks fans (laughs) have accumulated for the last three years like all of them have just been all of those scabs have been ripped off and you've just scratched away at it with this move and again it's Tyler Zeller for Rashad Vaughn in a second-round pick. So, uh, again, not not hugely impactful players, um, but all of those things make you think about those previous failings and bring up all of those bad feelings once again. And it, it just seemed like to me like kind of a perfect storm for uh, Bucks fans to be fired up or, or potentially disappointed once again. Yeah, and I mean, I think if we want to kind of, I guess, I don't know if take a step back, because I feel like we, all of this is more of the step back view of like, you know, using uh, a fairly minor trade as a chance to relitigate like everything the Bucks have done over the past, you know, three years. But um, I think if we focus very, zoom in a little bit for a second here and say, well, well why do the Bucks want Tyler Zero in the first place, right? Um, the obvious reason is, A, Thon Maker has been, very bad and unproductive this year. Uh, and again, it's, it's not to say that he has not shown flashes of being potentially useful in the future. It's not to say that, um, the Bucks have necessarily given up on him. Uh, um, and you know, it's not to say also that, um, I personally, you know, if you, if you ask me, do you want the Bucks to do this move over again? I would say no, I would probably say no. And I would say, it is not because Tyler Zeller is not a better player 
than Rashad than uh, Thon Maker because clearly I think he is. You know, if you look at all his numbers this year, um, he's been surprisingly pretty good. Um, you know, he has you know a, a decent jump shot. Um, he's not a rim protector, but has you know the, the Nets have been pretty good rebounding when he's been on the court. I mean, he's a serviceable NBA backup is basically what he is. He was starting earlier in the season, m- got pushed down the pecking order as uh, Jared Allen, who's obviously a first round pick from last year, as well as Jaleel Okafor uh, were brought into the mix in Brooklyn. So his value sort of, you know, got lost in the shuffle. And I don't think it's because he's played poorly that he's fallen out of the rotation. But, you know, he's just not a priority for understandable reasons. He's 28 years old. Um, his RPM this year, negative 0.54. Ironically, he's has the same RPM as his brother, brother Cody. Um, and to give you some some uh, sense of that, I think he's like plus one something DRPM um, and negative offensive RPM. Uh, and to give you something why maybe it's a positive to add a guy who has a negative real plus minus, which again would say, you know, what is that guy's effect on his team sort of controlling for all other variables? It's because Thon Maker is last among all centers with a negative <laughs> 4.2 points per 100 uh, RPM. Uh, Thon is the worst center in the NBA right now by RPM. And again, you can say, well, I don't really believe in RPM. It's like, well, fine, but he's last. <laughs> you know, like that's that you're not, you don't have a good year. Yeah. I was gonna say, if you don't want the numbers, use your eyes. Like he's been bad. Yeah. Like, it, yeah you don't, you don't finish last in RPM by being like a pretty good player. Right. Um, yeah. clearly bad things are happening. Uh, we can split hairs on how bad he's been or if he's getting a little bit better. Um, but he's been bad. Um, yep. and I think, you know, again, we'll see what this trade means. I mean, I would assume they don't make this deal unless, they expect to give Tyler Zeller a lot of Thon's minutes uh, and move him into the backup role for John Henson, which is ironic because Henson and Zeller were teammates <laughs> at the UNC. And I think John tweeted something uh, excitedly when he I saw that I think it was literally trade. Z with, Z with a, a million exclamation points. Yeah. yeah. Um, so again, I mean, Tyler Zeller is a you know serviceable NBA backup and pretty much any serviceable NBA backup is probably going to help you more than Thon Maker at this point. Um and I think the other piece of this, too, you can say, well, you know, you mentioned, well, you could have cut Rashad Vaughn and gone and signed Andrew Bogut. And the trade-off there, you know, whoever, pick your guy that might get bought out over the next couple of weeks. Um, I, I imagine you could get a guy who is as good as Tyler Zeller, probably a different type of player than Tyler Zeller. Um, so you could say, well, why give up, like, even a protected, bad second-round pick for that? And, I mean, the answer, in part, isn't really going to probably make people very happy, which is that if you waive... Rashad Vaughn, you still owe him one point or one point nine million, and then you have to pay, you know, the other guy, uh, whatever he's going to get owed the rest of the season. You know, maybe it's it's probably less than a million at this point, but you're going to have to pay that guy's salary as well. If you do this trade, basically uh, Zeller makes slightly less than Rashad, actually. So, sort of the net uh, salary effect is is actually a slight savings relative to if you just waived Rashad and and went out inside somebody else. So there is a value from uh, a financial perspective to making this trade. Um, which I'm sure is not going to make people more angry, right? Um, <laughs> but um, so so anyway, I, I assume the Bucks liked something about Zeller's game, which I guess I can see, you know. Um, and pretty much, you know, any guy of his ilk is probably going to be an improvement on Thon, assuming that he replaces his minutes. Uh, and obviously, the question is, you know, is that worth uh, giving up a protected? future second round pick and obviously um you know i think in isolation it probably doesn't matter a whole lot this is kind of a pretty marginal move that doesn't change much now or in the future but i think the problem is you know you gave away a second round pick and a first round pick in the bledsoe deal 
you're now giving uh, moving a future second round pick for you know a pretty minor rotation piece this year. Um, and again, you know Zeller, we'll see if he's around next year. He is a non guaranteed 1.9 million next year, which is actually favorable in the sense that it gives you an option um, if you you know need to fill out your roster. You have a guy who's very cheap relative to his production, I'd say, that you could keep around next year. Um, but as we'll talk about in our cap discussion, the Bucks, with all the sort of tax pressure they're under, um, that non-guaranteed deal may be valuable just in the sense that they'll want to get rid of it. Um, non-guaranteed deal is also useful in you know terms of making trades and um, and doing deals that way as well. Um, but we'll we'll kind of see how it shakes out. Certainly, if the Bucks were to trade one of their other bigs at this point, you know, having Zeller on a non-guaranteed number next year is is helpful just in terms of having some extra insurance because obviously they're they're pretty short at the center position. So, um, so yeah, it's one of these kind of weird deals that. I think makes them better this year. I think that's presumably the obvious reason why the Bucks did that because the Bucks want to be good this year. Um, I don't think it makes them a lot better this year, but you know, relative to the little they give up for it, it it does make them better. Um, and yet, I personally wouldn't have done this deal just because I don't really care about winning an extra game or two this year. And to be honest, as bad as Thon has been. Um, I feel like you have to figure out what the hell Thon is, <laughs> and yeah. um, I don't think you figure that out by having him be your third string center behind Tyler Zeller. And again, we'll see if that you know actually plays out that way. Um, but yeah, I just I just think this was you know j- again it's not a huge it's not going to move the needle much either way. But I just think this move was too short sighted kind of for for my preference. And obviously we've talked a lot about why we weren't really that interested in moves for centers in general. Um and again, I think this is just one of those moves that um, you know, again, I'm I'm not gonna lose sleep over it, but I, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm curious kind of where Thon goes from here. Because when we had talked about this, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think when we talked about possibly training for a center, that had to be our last mailbag, so almost a couple weeks ago at this point. I had mentioned trading for another center that's better than Thon is interesting to me, but at the same time, that might suggest that, not that you're punting on Thon, but you're at least punting some of his minutes. Like, whether yeah. whether or not you're punting on him fully, you wouldn't. You, you're still going to see what Thon has, and obviously he's had a... He had a nice little weekend, <laughs> um, and he was a, kind of able to find his flow a little bit. And I mean, I think that would have been my hope for the second half of the season is that you find some of that. Um, but if you do want to fix this problem, um, that we were going to record a podcast about possibly trading for, I don't even know, Dwayne Dedman, Kylo Quinn, whoever it would be, I feel like all those guys, you'd have to make, I don't know, if a, a larger commitment, but they certainly have larger contracts. Um, so maybe that would have meant they were cheaper. I have no idea how much you would have had to spend it. I would assume probably something similar to what you spent here. But in that situation, I feel like you're fully punting Thon's minutes. Like, at least here, maybe you can get Thon a little second quarter, like first or second quarter run, and then kind of see how he does with it. But I don't know. I Seeing how they try to insert Tyler Zeller into this rotation is going to be f- <laughs> fascinating as a, a too strong of a word to use about someone who's 11th or 12th on the roster. Um, you find a lot of very trivial things fascinating, but you will not, not go this far. No, not on this one. Um, it's not fascinating, but I, I think it tells you at least something 
about what they're thinking about Don Baker and how important his development is because I mean there's only some there's only you can only learn some things by playing. Like Don Maker, sure it'll be good to get him reps elsewhere and that's great, but at some point like you just have to see what he's got out on the NBA floor and how he can get better and do some of those things. So uh, to me, that is, that is kind of what in, interests me. I, I was in a spot, honestly, where I wasn't really I wasn't really looking to make a trade. Um, and, and I guess that was probably part of my struggle in actually asking people for trade questions that we were going to do tonight because it's like, well, I'm not interested in this. Like this isn't something that I think is necessary for the season. You have a number of players that I think can do the job, and even if Thon is among the worst centers in the league, you need to figure that out. Like You need to figure out exactly what he's going to be, and you can only do that with him on the floor. So uh, in our podcast that we were going to record before all this happened, I would have said, don't make a trade. Just go ahead, let uh, let Rashad get done, uh, or let Rashad get through the trade deadline, buy him out. And then go find some buyout candidate, whoever it may be at center, and and roll from there. So that would be the way I would do it, and I can understand the the frustration with seeing the Milwaukee Bucks sell or, or add a second round pick to it. But at the same time, I kind of think back to this summer where they let's see sold sold the forty eighth pick for two million. And bought the forty sixth pick for one point nine million, I think. Um, so they made money despite moving up two spots and getting a guy in Sterling Brown that they like. And when I think about that, that seems like a team that is well aware of the value of a second round pick. Like that that is such a minute detail where you could have just picked I think you probably were going to get Sterling Brown wherever, wherever you wanted him, but they still found a way to get a hundred thousand extra dollars out of it. So, as I think through giving up a second round pick, like the thing I keep thinking about is you get that. I think what did you say? It is like five million dollars you get every year to spend money on those type of moves. Like you can buy a second round pick. Like if you really want a second round pick, you can buy one, but. This Bucks roster and why I think our trade discussion and, and maybe we'll get into some of this now, why it's interesting is the Bucks are capped out. They, they are capped out now. If they sign Jabari Parker, they will be in the tax. And they have pretty much their entire roster filled out for next year. Now you, you can go into some more of the specifics, but I think they only have two spots. So they would have had a first-round pick that they could have put in there and a second-round pick that they could have put in there. Um, and maybe it would have been three with, without making this deal. But either way, you can explain some of that more. But it, it's just kind of an interesting spot to put yourself into um, where maybe they they thought if they wanted to sign a free agent, or actually they if you want to sign someone to an exception somewhere, whatever it may be, like I... I to me, I'm just thinking about the lack of flexibility going into this offseason. Like, the, there just isn't a lot there. Yeah, I mean, just to give people kind of a sense of the numbers. So um, they have at this point, uh, if you kind of just total up the guys under contract for next year, um, 
you now have Tyler Zeller and Malcolm Brogdon are non-guaranteed deals. I'll include those for now. Obviously, Brogdon is a no-brainer. I mean, <laughs> you were not going to uh, cut Malcolm Brogdon at <laughs> $1.5 million next year. Um, if you include them, um, you basically have, let's see, 12 guys uh, under contract. You have Jabari as a restricted free agent, and you have your first-round pick at this point, which um, you know, if the Bucks were to struggle and drop uh, – drop in the standings that could uh, I think what if it was the 17th pick or lower was it what, what's the 10 to 17 or something like that it, I think is the Phoenix um, range that they would get it this year so they Phoenix probably will not get the Bucks first round pick this year um, but there are some scenarios where if the Bucks you know kind of fell apart that maybe they could lose that pick but assuming they do let's say that's worth another uh, two million dollar cap hold for that first round pick um, so that takes you to 14 roster spots so um, you basically have one other r- extra roster spot. And, um, you know, you mentioned about Jabari Parker and, and his, um, you know, his next contract kind of swinging the Bucks offseason is is very correct. And, and Brian Windhorst and Bobby Marks had a uh, story uh, for ESPN.com earlier today, which I thought was, was a very good read for anybody who's curious about just sort of the market and how it's evolving and what it might look like for free agents this summer and just sort of the general evolution over the last few years about why um you know we saw this huge spike of deals a couple years ago and then this year we're expected to not see nearly as robust a market for free agents which obviously is very important for people like jabari who are going to be free agents this summer um you know interesting i mean you know a couple teams that i would have looked at as the most likely candidates if anybody was going to give jabari parker an offer sheet i would have looked at the bulls and the hawks as being options i mean those teams i think the bulls i want to say are like are the Bulls at 21 million and the Hawks at 24 million, or maybe the reverse? Um, either way, neither team actually has a max uh, salary slot at, yeah. right now, um, and so it's interesting. I mean, that, that's kind of thing. I mean, I, I think it, as a thought experiment, it, it's very important to think about like, well, what if a team gave Jabari Parker a max offer sheet? Like, what would the Bucks do? Because that's sort of the worst case scenario. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, to be honest, just because. Um, you know, Jabari Parker is not the only restricted free agent for that matter. You have guys like Aaron Gordon out there as well, um, who, you know, presumably will will attract attention. Gordon, I would think, is a much sort of safer bet than, than Jabari just because of the injuries. Um, and also, like, it's a little unclear what Orlando thinks of him um, as well. But, um, but yeah, so, so, I mean, just to give you guys a kind of a quick sense of the numbers. So if I tally up um, all those, all those numbers, and Jabari has a cap hold of twenty point three million. Okay, so that to be not, clear with Jabari, that's how many spots are filled? That's fourteen. Okay, um, with fourteen spots filled, including Jabari. And again, you you wouldn't be obligated to sign a fifteenth guy if you don't want to. You, you, don't, you know, in the NBA, you don't have to carry fifteen guys. You could carry fourteen. But um, if you just carried those fourteen guys that I mentioned, you had made no other moves. You know, you don't have a second round pick this year, so there's no nobody there that that would factor in. Um, and importantly, this is also including Spencer Hawes who is owed $2 million each of the next two years because they stretched him, which in hindsight, because of the Bledsoe deal, ironically, they didn't, now you, you look, go back and say, well, we wish you hadn't stretched Spencer Hawes because the Bledsoe trade shaved off what was, whatever it was, over $3 million yeah. off the Bucks uh, salary cap space. So, um, so unfortunately, that's another $2 million hit the next two summers, which obviously in hindsight, you know, the Bucks probably would wish they could have not done um, and just paid him the full freight this year. Um, they'd be right up against the tax um, if they if they hadn't done that. But um, either way, uh, 
so this year, um, or sorry, next year, you got the Haas and Larry Sanders getting about four million in income, in, you know, in tandem. Um, but all told, if you if you have Jabari Parker in there at his cap hold of twenty point three million, you the Bucks total salary works out to about one hundred and thirty million dollars. And the importance of that is that the luxury tax. I've seen projections anywhere from one twenty three to one one twenty one on the low end. So the bottom line is, you're you know, if Jabari Parker gets his you know, and, and again, the, the the cap hold is only meaningful in the sense that it's a placeholder against Bucks salary cap space. And given they don't have you know any functional space, it's not really meaningful in terms of the Bucks, what the Bucks do next summer. But it is a reference point, at least for you know where the Bucks might end up. And you know, I don't think it's unreasonable that Jabari Parker could get a twenty million dollars starting salary. Um, yeah, Zach had so, said in his article last week that. They kind of, they kind of got to an eighteen million per kind of spot where the Bucks had locked out at three years fifty four million would be the highest that they would go uh, during the early extension period. So, I mean, that's where they were comfortable, and I guess during that period you would only sign a very team friendly extension. Um, so maybe you would go a little bit higher, but I think twenty is a useful number. Yeah. So if we say twenty million, then you're at one thirty total. You're let's say optimistically seven million over the tax. And I know that some of this stuff is now getting into some of the stuff we're going to discuss in our kind of cap discussion. But, um, you know, there, there are obviously ways that you can work work back under the tax. And again, it's it's where you are at the end of a season, not at the beginning of the season. So you have time to make decisions. But probably just to kind of preview, it, I mean, some of the, the obvious decisions um, are obviously, you know, Eric Bledsoe is making 15 million. Where does Eric Bledsoe fit into your long-term plans? You know, are you concerned with being able to resign him? Are you concerned with being able to resign him at a good number? Uh, even if you like Eric Bledsoe, you might not think that you can get him at a number that you're going to like, especially given that he's going to be, I guess, 29 next year. Um, Mirza Toledovic, probably the biggest question mark on this roster is, does Mirza Toledovic ever play again? And we haven't really heard much of anything about how Mirza is doing coming back from the blood clots in his lungs, which has happened for the second time in his career. We know Chris Bosch retired due to this, um, was deemed, you know, basically medically unable to continue his career. Um, the Miami heat got a huge salary cap benefit from that because they were basically able to wipe off the remainder of Bosch's, um, contract. They still had to pay him that, but it was not counting against their salary cap. And Mirza is owed $10.5 million next year. So, um, that would take you under, it would take you under. And, and again, like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, Oh, let's all root that for Mirza Toledovich's career to be over. Right. I mean, this is somebody's livelihood. Um, I, I, I hesitate to talk about, you know, this in such cavalier like oh here's the cap upshot of it but i mean look this is the reality of it right um if toledovich retires uh then one year from when he last played a game which was in november of of last year um the bucks could get basically an exception that would essentially wipe him off of their cap sheet um and so again that would happen in november so it wouldn't happen during the summer but you know again this introduces all these question marks because the deadline for stretching players is the end of August. Um, so basically, the Bucks could stretch. This is my understanding, at least, is that the Bucks could stretch Toledovic uh, at the end of August, and that would defer uh, his ten point five million dollars salary over three years. Um, so basically, you would you would basically get under the tax, even if you didn't get the um, basically the retirement exception, because you'd only owe him three and a half million next year rather than ten and a half. Uh, but then in November, you could get the added benefit of having it all wiped off your cap 
if in fact the league, uh, you know, basically a doctor, like a, you know, a third party has to agree that, you know, it's basically not safe for him to continue his career and that, that he should retire. So it's a really kind of complicated situation, but the Toledovich, you know, and, and, and of course, obviously, you know, you, if you plan things well enough, then you're not sitting around waiting to see if a guy's going to medically retire in order to save you from the luxury tax. Obviously that should be stated, right? Um, but it obviously puts the Bucks in this awkward situation where they have to determine is Mirza Kluge going to play basketball again? Do they stretch him and then figure out later if, if they're going to be able to get salary cap relief? You know, is it going to be determined earlier that he's actually going to retire and then it's just a waiting game until, you know, the actual um, cap benefit comes to you? Um, and again, it, you know, it's a bit semantic when the bucks get that relief because they're not going to have cap space either way so um so anyway it's it's a it's it's a complicated situation because then you also have obviously a number of other bigger contracts like delhi and henson and snell that are you know multiple years beyond next year that um obviously you would much rather get rid of those than some of the other uh you know younger players or you know guys like middleton uh obviously uh who are you know obviously more important players at, at better contracts i was gonna say the the horse carrying responsible spending in 1819 and 1920. I, I think that horse has already left town um, because. Did you say horse or horsed? Oh, wow. I didn't even try to, but horsed. <laughs> well, I guess technically they were John Hammond moves. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a total mess, which uh, obviously to me kind of makes the, the second round stuff and the future picks like even more scary because. Yeah. You you know that you're going into an area where you're capped out. Yeah, and like, tax and taxed out, taxed out, yeah. not just capped out. Yeah, but yeah, you're you're up against that tax. Like, like you can't add cheap free agents because like you've already spent. Like, and obviously, if you get under the tax, you could do some. Can you? you which exceptions can you whatever you could use some exceptions to get yeah, you but there's a tax there's a taxpayer mid-level which is basically a, just a smaller number so like um, you and, could. and that's the thing right like the 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 bucks ownership group can could decide that hey we're going for it we have a team that we think is good enough um you know we're, we're fine paying the tax right i mean that that's fine i think uh in the story today that Bobby Marks and, and Brian Windhurst, where I think they said that there were like a dozen teams or so that project to be at or, or close to the tax. Um, so, again, there's nothing saying the Bucks just can't pay the tax, um, especially given, you know, they do have a lot of guys coming off the books um, in 2019. But they also have a number of guys who are very important who are going to be in line for raises, namely Middleton, Bledsoe, Brogdon. And obviously to say that like, oh, we're going to have, you know, a lot bunch of cap space in 2019 is also getting way ahead of yourself because, um, you know, you're still going to be paying Henson. You're still going to be paying Snell and Della Vadova and all those deals might, you know, end up kind of biting you, uh, especially if you give Jabari a, a big deal as well. Yeah. So that, again, like that just makes what you said earlier about giving up those picks. Like it just makes it a scary situation, especially when the value add of Tyler Zeller might be a little bit more negligible. Like, uh, is it, uh, I don't think in the, because you do, you do have to remember, like we're already past the halfway point. Like we're at 50 games. There's only 30 games left this year. So to have a huge impact on wins throughout the rest of the year, like you gotta be a damn good player. Like that's just like, that's how it's going to be. You don't have as much time to accumulate all of those very small differences that add up to wins over a season. So you to give up a pick for Tyler Zeller. And again, 
uh, I will continue to hammer home that you can buy second round picks. Like those are pretty much always available. There will always be a team that wants to do it, but you have to be willing to buy those second round picks. And again, maybe you could have two second round picks instead of just one second round pick that you bought because you traded your original one. So uh, it's just a it's a move that I mean it's it's to me frankly scary. Um, just looking forward because you want to have the. There's just something comforting about having all those picks and not needing yeah. to go out and buy picks or make a trade that somehow gets picks. And then also, when you are looking at getting off some of that money, sometimes you have to give up picks to get off that money. Um, and that can be some of those assets that you can use to get off of it. So um, I, I just think a, a move generally that... I can understand being apprehensive about. I don't know if I can understand maybe the vitriol that I've seen on Twitter thus far tonight. Um, but when you add up everything that we talked about at the start of the podcast, like the fact that you have to think about drafting Rashad Vaughn again, and you have to think about finding a replacement for Thon Maker, and you have to think about giving up another second round pick, and then you have to think about the Bledsoe trade. Like when you pile on all those things, like I can kind of see why people have been as upset as they have been because I don't think it is just about this trade. I think it's about kind of the accumulation of all of these things and uh, seemingly, uh, I don't want to say irrelevant because everything is relevant, but a a smaller deal, like it shouldn't have this type of uh, reaction, but I I can kind of get why it all works out because it pulls together and somehow manages to seamlessly put all of those former those past moves into this one so um it's, yeah and go ahead. yeah and i was gonna say i mean i think if 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 somehow we knew that if, if this came along with the knowledge that like you know the bucks you know somehow we also knew that oh well, don't worry bucks the bucks are just gonna go buy a, a second round pick yeah. whenever to to make up for this especially if it's like in the 50s that's you know not gonna cost an arm and a leg i mean the three and a half million that i think the the warriors paid for jordan bell was you know that's like a high water mark. That's not normal. Obviously, as you mentioned, the Bucks, uh, the, those two picks that the Bucks uh, bought and sold this this past year in the mid forties were, you know, under two million, right? So um, it's a sliding scale. I think if we knew that the Bucks were just going to go out and buy another second round pick to make up for it, then I think people would feel way better about this. But the Bucks haven't bought a second round pick other than when they sold a second round pick, yep. and they obviously uh, a couple of years back they sold. Um, they sold the Patrick McCaw pick, which yep. obviously a lot of people, you know, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, given, you know, where the Bucks were in terms of trying to build and find young players. Um, thankfully, Patrick McCaw has, has kind of sucked. Uh, <laughs> 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 Although he played, I mean, he plays for the Warriors, but his numbers yeah. suck. Um, and then actually, it was funny. I think he has a lower PR than Rashad Vaughn this year, which made me feel at least really? slightly, less, slightly less. I knew terrible. it was bad. I didn't know it was yeah. quite that bad. Um, okay. And at least Nor- Norm Powell has been bad this year, which again, doesn't make the Grievous Vasquez tried any any less terrible I mean last year seeing Norm Powell uh you know seeing Norm Powell like be the difference maker in that first round playoff series was just so cruel given that basically the Bucks just literally gifted him to yeah. the uh to the Raptors in the in the Vasquez deal um but yeah I I think again I think a lot of it is just sort of you know the the extension of the never trust the bucks uh perspective that that a lot of fans feel about just the organization you know like just being nervous that like 
well, we gave up the future asset and you guys, you guys don't care about the future enough to go buy, get, get us one in return. Right. I mean, that's, I think a lot of the anxiety, even if again, it's not, this isn't like some irreversible thing where you, you know, you gave up some guy that you knew was going to be really good and whatever. I mean, that's obviously not the case. It's a, 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 few, a likely 2020 late second round pick is obviously a pretty abstract thing at this point, but um, it's obviously more of this sort of symbolic thing. And as you said, sort of just bringing up all the the other you know issues because again you're you know as I just can't theory, believe that all of them got somehow dragged into this. Like ever yeah. like all of those picks and all of those just moves that stick out to you and want to drive you crazy like it gets all of the last three first rounders it gets some of the second rounders it gets part of the norm powell trade it gets the blood such like it just pulled them all together right right if 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 your 2015 first round pick is any good rashad vaughn then you're not trading him now right you're not salary dumping him then he's he's useful if your 2016 first round pick thon maker was like had shown any progress since last year then you're not trying to go find another guy to potentially replace him you're just going to keep playing him and you're happy because he's actually doing stuff but obviously that's that's not what's happening with with on right now and obviously dj wilson is probably the least involved but you know again we've seen all year that he just hasn't been able to make any impression on the coaching staff yeah like if he was john collins okay whatever like you don't like you have a rotation player like you don't need to go out and get another one like you'll just play a little bit smaller to get john collins in. like right it's another just brings it up again yeah so, uh, so yeah, I mean, that, that's, I think just context for people. So, I mean, it's sort of those things. It's like starting point. Is this sort of in isolation, a big deal, an important trade? No, not really. It doesn't really move the needle a lot. You know, I think this year it clearly moves the needles in a slightly positive direction, an unambiguously, but minorly positive direction. Yep. Um, long-term it moves the bucks in an, I'd say an unambiguously slightly negative direction, but again, just very slightly negative, probably. Um, and as you said, I mean, I think the big thing, and and this is really, this goes for in general my feelings about like trades for you know like, you know, like Dwayne Dedman or you know pick up pick up any pick anybody whether it's a moderate like decent kind of role playing starter type guy or or even extending to like a DeAndre Jordan type guy. If you want to add any of those guys, then tell me what that guy is next year for the Bucks. And if the guy like Dwayne Dedman, I don't even, he has a team option next year. I don't even know if you'd want to keep him next year. I mean, you, we just told you about all the tax issues the Bucks have. Can you actually keep Dwayne Dedman at $7 million a year next year? Can you actually keep Dwayne Dedman on this roster next year? Or are you just waving him because you need that money to go spend on guys who matter more in the long term? Yeah. Um, if you're trying to get DeAndre Jordan, okay, DeAndre Jordan's a good player. Who are you giving up? And which, you know, which of, Jabari, Eric Bledsoe, and Chris Middleton are you not keeping because you want DeAndre Jordan? P- possibly you have to give up two of those guys. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, if you're paying DeAndre Jordan 25 to $30 million a year, which presumably is his asking price, which I think is ridiculous given <sighs> you know how he fits into the, the grand scheme of the universe, but we'll see what the market is for him. Um, I, <laughs> like, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of the discussion around, around centers – is sort of like doesn't really factor in the fact that you know there is sort of this pay me now pay me later aspect with what's coming for the bucks in terms of these tax issues and again like the idea of giving up any asset you know if Dwayne Dedman comes for something that's not free which 
he's he's useful. I mean, I don't. Mm-hmm. I think the the Hawks should expect to get something for him. Um, if that's an unprotected second round pick, maybe instead of a protected one like we saw moved in this deal, um, then that's a second round pick that you can't use to try to move a bad salary this summer to help you get under the tax because you know Jabari got paid whatever and you owe yeah. all these other guys a lot of money, right? Um, to me, a lot of my hesitance to to make deals to be a buyer at this deadline is because I think you're going to have to have some some kind of dry powder I think for this summer when you know again unless the sort of this the, this Toledovich this random Toledovich thing and again I hate to say pans out because we're talking about a guy's livelihood but you know you guys understand what I'm saying yeah. um if if Toledovich is on the books next year um you know I mean if you just don't want to sign Jabari then I think you can probably talk yourself into a lot of these things, right? If you don't want to sign Jabari, you can probably talk yourself into Jabari plus Henson. Maybe he gets you DeAndre Jordan and cap wise. Yeah, you could probably keep Bledsoe and Chris Middleton. Personally, would I do that? No, I would rather roll, roll the dice on Jabari Parker becoming, you know, a good player given mm-hmm. he's 22 and, and very talented versus DeAndre and being older and playing a position that, you know, again, I just don't know. As weird as it is to say, I don't know if if a defensive center uh, is is going to be the differentiating thing for teams over the next five years. So, so yeah, um, I know we'll probably get into some of this other stuff. We'll get into more detail around the cap stuff um, soon, and I'm sure we'll be talking about um, a lot of the trade opportunities kind of over the next week. Um, but I think this this trade I think is a good lens through which to talk about. Not just the general frustration, I guess, that a lot of people have about the recent history of Bucks moves, but also just about some of the important kind of variables at play here and some of the stakes here as well. Because I get that people, you know, we talked about. It. I mean, the East is a, is a mess, right? There's a lot of opportunity in the East to to move up and do stuff in the playoffs, but you're not winning a title this year, obviously. And again, I, I also don't think focusing on the title as a singular thing is. I think that's also a little bit myopic in the sense I think sometimes I feel like people just, you know, feel like you should just be shitty until like this one season and you just snap your fingers and then you're a title contender. And, you know, I mean, I I think there's absolutely value in Giannis making a playoff run and getting experience and actually, you know, getting through these things and and actually growing and and getting this experience together um, with his teammates. Um, But that's the challenge, right, is is how do you balance that long term with the short term and um obviously the bucks with some of the moves they've made obviously um value the short term probably more than than certainly you know some bucks fans do um and you know we'll have to see how it works out certainly with Bledsoe and now to a lesser extent Tyler Zeller um certainly both of these moves are are moves aimed at you know this year and and next year <laughs> I enjoyed Bledsoe and then to a lesser extent Tyler <laughs> to, to to an infinitely lesser extent. <laughs> that is much better. Um okay. Uh I think that's gonna be I think that's about it. Um unless there's anything else you wanted to hit on with this trade. Um like I said, I don't think this is an emergency pod. I, I think we've covered how this can be both a, a big deal but also a small deal and kind of how it's it moves it puts together all the places of frustration that have kind of come across for bucks fans in the last little while so um excuse us for spending um 50 minutes or however long this ended up being on a tyler zeller rashad vaughn uh centered deal um just because i do think that there's some interesting stuff there so hopefully you guys enjoyed it we need to 
Uh, do you want to do a, a very brief preview of the sure. game? Um, so the Bucks have the New York Knicks tonight. Um, they may or may not have Tyler Zeller there. Uh, the Nets were on a homestand, so uh, there's a chance that he could just make the trip over from Brooklyn. It wouldn't be very difficult, um, and it looks like uh, as we were recording the trade, that's, that's was- the obvious reason why this trade was made, right? Because <laughs> Tyler Zeller was in the area. And, you know, it, it really cut down on travel costs. <laughs> uh, it was only going to be an Uber to get him over Cat- to where they needed uh, subway, to be. Subway, dude, so, uh, UberCon, man. Maybe, <laughs> maybe an Uber that. pool. Maybe an Uber pool. <laughs> I don't. Surge pricing in New York is no joke, man. You got to be careful. Good. Maybe maybe like a like a five a.m. UberX. That, that's that's the extent of it. Uh, so Zeller may be with the squad. He may also not be with the squad. Obviously, the Knicks are a team that the Bucks just saw literally over the weekend uh, on Friday. They ended up pulling out a two point victory with Giannis hitting a game winner with one point four seconds left. Um, I guess any thoughts that you kind of have about the Knicks still lingering? Obviously, we already broke down kind of what the Knicks look like and where they are in the standings, and uh, we talked about that game as well. And for me, the one thing I think that sticks out is just kind of the the Porzingis Giannis kind of battle. Um, I, I think I've brought this up a couple times this year, but at the start of the season, there was always this conversation about who's the best of the unicorns and who's the guy. And uh, there would be the talk about, oh, is it, is it Porzingis? Is it Giannis? Is it Embiid? And I just feel like 50 games for the season, it's Giannis. like it's not a discussion anymore and um just seeing that kind of up close and personal on friday night where last year when the knicks did take on the bucks in the bc like Giannis struggled with porzingis like there was there was no doubt in that fourth quarter that he was affected and you just saw in that fourth quarter Giannis didn't much care like there was blow buys uh there was finishes at the rim like he was able to get uh porzingis switched and then attack him when he was at, at like the guy helping from the backside. So uh, to me, that's kind of something that stands out that in this year, like, again, I didn't think it w- really was a conversation before the year, but it, obviously being Milwaukee and then New York and Philadelphia, like two larger East coast cities. Like I think that narrative was kind of pushed and I think it's become just very obvious that they are not on the same level as Giannis. No, and um, you know I think with Porzingis in particular, I mean you love his his three point shooting. Um, you love the fact that he's been able to become you know a high usage guy. I mean, ironically, I think uh, someone made a comparison of you know <laughs> uh, Porzingis's touches often now looking eerily similar to Carmelo's touches in recent years, oh. like kind of elbow, oh. ISO, you know, shoot over guy type stuff. Um, and, and obviously, you know, he, he's able to do different things um, and he's a terrific shot blocker. I think he's still leading the league in, in shot blocking. Um, I, I haven't looked into it much. Um, you know, he's re- he doesn't rebound much at all. I imagine a lot of that is probably because he's sharing the floor with Cantor, um, yeah. who obviously is just sort of a vacuum cleaner boards, yeah. for, for rebounds. You know, so I'm not sure if Porzingis is really like hurting you. Um, but clearly, you know, he's under seven rebounds per game. Giannis is obviously over 10. Um, and just, you know, again, Porzingis isn't much of a passer. I think what do you have is like one something assist per game. Um, you know, he's 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 going out there shooting for himself. Um, he's not making plays for other guys, really. Uh, and, you know, again, just obviously Giannis, uh, the complete package that he brings uh, kind of at this point, I don't think we need to tell our listeners much about it. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they are a very interesting matchup just because they do defend each other so much. Yep. And they uh, obviously have each shown an ability to bother 
um, one another in terms of uh, of you know giving the other some some problems. So it'll be fun to see these guys go at it again. Obviously at MSG, great stage, you know the the mecca. Um, and of course, interesting, you know, if, if Zeller is in there, like does Zeller, again, not that Zeller is the strongest guy in the world either, um, you know, just, just having another guy. Uh, See, now I, now I get the trade. Like they wanted a canter stopper. Just, just a canter and stopper, exactly. Bring in Zeller. He needed it. <laughs> <laughs> um so, so, yeah, we'll see. And I think the other thing, obviously, is the injuries. Giannis is listed as probable after turning his right ankle um, on Sunday in Brooklyn. Uh, Delhi flew back to Milwaukee for additional tests, whatever that might be. It's like I it's said, man, right. you got a superhuman, you got a regular human. Like, yeah. superhuman, whatever. Ankle, I'm good. Regular human, I turn my ankle. I might be out for a little while. So we'll see yeah. with Delhi. Yeah. So Delhi, obviously, question mark there. And and obviously, with Brogdon also out, I mean, the Bucks have basically Eric Bledsoe at point guard at this point. And he's obviously been very up and down of late. Um, basically down for a couple weeks, and then he had his random up game on Sunday. Um, you hope that his uh, his ankle is is at least feeling better. Um, but but we'll see. I mean, they they probably can't really afford to have a bad night from from Eric Bledsoe just from a guard depth perspective. Um, and we'll see Xavier Munford, as predicted. <laughs> Xavier Munford uh, has been called up and uh, may very well see some minutes uh, at the backup point guard spot given uh, given the other injuries. So so we'll see. But although to be honest, I mean, I think this is a, another chance though to kind of go a little back to the future and just say, well. You know, we've talked about more of the offense running through Giannis, which has been fun to watch. Um, and certainly with a shortage of point guards, um, you know, I think if you only have one real point guard, um, that's all the more reason to to stagger Giannis and Bledsoe's minutes. I think there's a reason to do that anyway. Um, but to to maybe see try to get Giannis I, again, I like the idea of taking Giannis out maybe at the six minute mark, bringing him back late in the first quarter, having him go against those second units, especially when Porzingis isn't on the court, uh, and you know letting Bledsoe Middleton try to maybe run the offense together a little bit, get Jabari in there early, uh, and then have Giannis come back uh, without the maybe without a true point guard um, and see how well he can do, given so much the offense can run through him. So. We will see. Five thirty-eight has this game as a fifty-fifty toss-up. Um, Knicks are sixteen and ten at home, so we will see. They're also Knicks are coming off a uh, soul-crushing. Uh, to the extent that Knicks fans' souls can be any more crushed, um, they I think we're up five inside of two minutes on the Atlanta Hawks, who are terrible, and they somehow managed to lose that game on Sunday. So um, not great times in New York right now, but obviously. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks are five and one under Joe Prenti, but I I I do not exactly trust the Bucks at this point. So <laughs> we'll see. That's why they play the games. Yeah, rule number one: never trust the Bucks. So we'll see what they do there. Uh, get to see a little bit of uh, Xavier Munford uh, and see what he has. And uh, I, I would say he looked out of sorts a little bit against the Timberwolves. Um, obviously, he didn't have a ton of time to really prep, but um, I do wonder if. I think he was out in New York today as they're practicing, so I wonder if he has. <clears throat> I wonder if he has maybe a little bit better flow and a little bit better idea of what what's going on and, and where he should be on the floor. So um, we'll have to keep our eyes on that. But Bucks Knicks six thirty uh, Central Time on Tuesday uh, today as you're listening to this podcast. So uh, that'll be your game for tonight. We will talk to you after that game um, and get you kind of caught up on that and everything that happened there. So 
for Frank, I'm Eric. Uh, this has been a not emergency pod, uh, as we discussed uh, <laughs> the Rashad Vaughn. Uh, a regular, zone. regular urgency pod. <laughs> Normal urgency, whatever that is on the scale. Is that green or is green at the top? Whatever, the, whatever the color would be. Um, just, a, just a regular podcast with the preview. Um, so that's gonna be it for us for today. That was Frank. I'm Eric. This has been Locked On Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.